Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, in your Bible, please. Wide variety of different types of sermons. Hope you're being comforted and encouraged this morning. 2 Corinthians, and chapter 4. Start with verse 16, if you'll follow along, please, as I read. Let me start with 15, please. Verse 15, 415. For all things, Apostle Paul speaking, are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Father, I pray as we live in a sin-cursed world, Father, as we live literally in a world sometimes that brings to our lives heartaches, I pray, God, as we see the word of God and, Father, what our future holds and the things that are now are very temporal. I pray, Father, that you would guide us to look through the now and look forward to eternity. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Preparing the message, I was thinking, I don't know why specifically, because it's in Old Testament illustrations, which is not abnormal, but the Old Testament came to my mind, and I was thinking of folks in the Old Testament that suffered heartaches, and sometimes we don't associate the heartaches of the Old Testament saints or the characters of the Old Testament with the heartaches that they had to have suffered. We see the story, and we read this story in the Bible, but we sometimes, personally, I don't always just break down what did that mean to that person. I think of a man by the name of Samson. And when, when you're a little boy, it's just like, Samson's the man. You love Samson in the Bible, right? You love the story of David and Goliath, but you love Samson. He's just this guy that can just whip anybody, take on a, a whole battalion of men, and just it's just incredible strength and power that he had. And it's just, man, what a what a life of Samson. What a great life it was, so to speak, for him. I thought to myself, what about Samson's parents? If you recall, this was a child that was born that was a promised child, this, a barren woman that didn't have any children. And, and we see this often in the Bible of something that God has something special for that child. So we see this barren woman. As we see Sarah with Abraham, we see this lady as a barren woman and had no child. And, and God gave to them a child. They named him Sans, Samson, but there was more to it than just that. This child had a Nazarite vow on him. And so there was something that was an expectation 
that this man was not going to be somebody that was just running in the way of the world, but this is somebody that was going to be somebody dedicated to the Lord. And, and, and the Nazarite vow had many things that, that it carried with it that you were not to do or things you were supposed to do. And then we had this man by the name of Samson that comes along. And one of the first things we, we realize is that he wants his parents to go down to Timnath and get him, get him a woman. And, and his words literally are, get her for me. And we find very rapidly that, of course, he knew that going down to the land of the Philistines for a Jewish boy was the last thing in the world he was supposed to do. And then with a Nazarite vow, again, just totally against what he knew to do. And yet he has his parents, and we watch the life of this man. And as he goes into his city, almost a, in many cases, the next verse, it says, says something in new chapter in the next verses and he went to this city and immediately what we find is that he goes to look for a harlot or he goes to look for uh, some woman or we find this of course Delilah is probably the most famous of them but we find in this man that his life is just horrifically lived it just if when he left a city I mean it was I mean they were glad for him to be out of there because he was creating a lot of havoc. The Bible says when he was born and what God's plan for him, and he was going to Timnath, but it makes this statement. It says, they knew not, speaking of the parents, they knew not that it was of the Lord. God had prepared this man in a special way and was using Samson. But if your mom and dad and your son's living this life of debauchery that you expected was going to be a child that was going to live his life for the Lord. But we find a child that in every which way certainly could have embarrassed, would have been an embarrassment to his, his family. Can you imagine the heartbreak of, of mom and dad as they see just the constant lifestyle that he's, he's living with different women that he shouldn't even be with and, and just all kinds of things going on in this man's life that mom and dad would have been at home suffering with wondering what is going on in this boy's life not knowing not knowing that god was using him in a different sort of way during the he was a judge of israel and during the time of his judge i think he was judged for 23 years but during that span honestly the israelites had peace because he was getting all the attention the philistines were constantly chasing after him and so God accomplished his purpose through Samson, but from mom and dad's standpoint, this is pretty rough. And then it all winds up with eyes plucked out and has basically committed suicide and took a lot of people with him. And I think to myself, the heartache of his mom and dad through these years, wondering when this boy was going to come to God, when, when was he ever going to live for God, when was he ever going to be the son that, that we believe God wanted him to be and the suffering that I can imagine watching their son live such a life of debauchery doing everything it seemed that he was not supposed to do according to the Nazarite vows but doing it anyway I think of David's parents your son is the last one brought in all your older sons are brought in and Samuel comes to anoint the new king way prior to King Saul dying but he sent Samson to anoint a new king to follow Saul. Should have been Jonathan, that's Saul's son. But we find that he goes to the house of Jesse. 
And he goes through the oldest to the youngest. And certainly the first one that comes out, the Bible describes him that surely this would be the one when Samuel saw him. It's like, wow, this is definitely the one. Well, what's the Bible say? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So the one that looked to be the most obvious, the oldest, and man of stature, and all these things was not the one. And one by one, David being the eighth son, one by one he comes down to David, the perhaps even a junior high boy who they brought in out of the field, like, really? Saul does it, is made aware, obviously, eventually that David was anointed to be the next king. David spends much of his life running for his life from Saul, who was the king who was hunting him down, I believe, for around 15 years, hunting this man down. The parents of David in danger. They have to leave Israel. They go into Moab, and it's believed that they were had a place of protection that David was believing that they would be safe there, but eventually his parents were killed in Moab. We don't know exactly how, but it was they were killed in Moab, probably some something from Saul, but his parents dead. The things that are happening in the lives of people, when we look at Samson and we think of, yeah, I love this guy, but there's a lot of heartache going on at home. We come to David and, wow, our son's the anointed king. How great is this? Oh, it's so great. You have to flee your homeland and you have to basically run for your lives and be in peril and eventually killed because your son was anointed king. We see these things and we look at them as if they have a great outcome to them. And that's our, our take on it is that there was trouble, but there was this great outcome. We come to a lady by the name of Bathsheba. King David should have been at war, but he didn't. He failed to go to be where he's supposed to be, and now he finds himself on his rooftop, and he's looking perhaps downward at another rooftop, and his eyes cross Bathsheba, who is bathing. She's married to Uriah. She lives in the neighborhood where he can see her, okay? This is, this is like the best, best place you would want to live. You're, you're living close to the king. This man Uriah was one of David's mighty men. Bathsheba is married to one of David's mighty men. What happens? David takes her for all practical purposes. We have, you know, the king who gets what he demands. And so, I mean, this lady in Bathsheba, we think of her negatively, but did not have any choices. Let's face it. This was as much as a rape as you would see in that you have the king who fetches her. And I look at the Bathsheba, as she sees as now she's been with the king, and can you imagine what's coming through her heart and life? What's this going to mean? How am I, what, what is my life going to be from here? What am I supposed to do? And then as time rolls on, we know David has her husband killed. I have no reason to believe that she didn't love her husband. I have no reason to believe that they didn't have a nice home. They lived in a great neighborhood, and life was probably a good life for her. And now all of a sudden her life is just absolutely filled with confusion and no doubt heartache. Certainly more losses in her life as time went on as we know. But many losses in her life. And I think 
it looks like Bathsheba, everything worked out for you. You're married to the king, and your son Solomon becomes the king eventually. But understand that there's a lot of heartache in this lady's life before any of those things happen. We look at these lives, and we look to the good, what we think is, is, is somewhat of a good outcome. But it's not always that way for the whole family. We look at this man Job and his wife. There's really no words. The Bible explains it very, very well. But the loss of all their children, the loss of all their belongings, everything gone. And sometimes we look at Job's wife and we think, oh, man, this lady is, you know, she tells Job, curse God and die. She lost 10 kids. I don't know how many grandchildren she lost. I don't think it's completely unreasonable that she said that to her husband. Can you imagine having lost not just your possessions and everything you had? Everything was gone, but all your children are gone. And what do we think of? Oh, yeah, but pastor, she had 10 more kids. She still lost all these. It didn't take that away. We, we look at it, he got, he got more wealth than he had before. It doesn't eliminate what happened in this lady's life and what the losses for her were. Job and his wife, what tremendous loss. And we look at, but they got 10 more children. They got twice as much wealth. A lot of heartache between those two. Naomi, she leaves with her husband as she follows her husband out of the land of Israel. And we find that she loses her husband. Both of her sons marry and both of her sons die. Of course, you know the story of Ruth and Ruth returns with her. And we see the story and we see the end of the story because we have the scriptures and we have the whole story. But understand, this woman is not living the whole story with knowledge of what it is before she gets into it. She's living this out, but she loses her two sons and her husband all die in Moab. And now here she is. She's coming back with her daughter-in-law. She's lost everything. Lost her family. And we come back and we say, yeah, but... And yeah, there's, there's, there's a phenomenal but to it. And that is this. David becomes her grandson. King David is her grandson, Naomi's grandson. And we think, wow, that's awesome. And it's amazing how God works everything out. But there's a lot of details between that and God working everything out in our lives. All of us are going to suffer the tragic stories that we see of the Bible that appear to have some favorable outcome. We have the benefits of the whole story in the scriptures. This morning you're sitting in your seat and across the room there's a wide variety of heartbreak. Some of it may have happened to you when you were a child and you still are struggling with it. Variety of things from childhood through adulthood to losses that are very painful. And we see these things, and every pew, every, every chair, I should say, every row is going to have, if you were to tell us of the deep heartaches that you live with, we would be shocked. We wouldn't, wouldn't know it. And there's many people that are suffering with these deep heartaches that are unexplainable, that occasionally crop up and perhaps knock you off your feet. We know that someday we'll see it, but you're saying, Pastor, I can't see it yet. I can't see it yet. It's, 
It's in my heart. It's in my mind. It's in, it troubles me. And I know that God works all things together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose, but I, I, I'm not there. I, can't, I believe the verse, but I can't see it, Pastor. I, I, I can't see it. I see, the, I see the outcome in the Old Testament, and there is some favorable outcomes, but I'm not there yet. I can't see the favorable outcome in my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Maybe you recognize that God is working in your life, but... He has not removed the memories and the pain. 4.16 through 18 of 2 Corinthians says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Paul uses these words, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. It's an amazing thing that Paul says here. When I think of the Apostle Paul, I know that amazing, amazingly painful, incredible number of them, things that happened in his life, the beatings that he, he took, he says, uh, in, in, the, in the water, all these things that he was over in peril at night, uh, and I forget how many times he said beatings that he received. This man is no doubt scarred up, beat up, and it's in just terrible. And if you read his list of things that happened in his life, it's just an endless litany of suffering and pain, one thing after another in the Apostle Paul's life. And none of these things, when we read the list of all the things that Paul would list in his resume of what has happened to him and the afflictions that came in unto him, you would look at every one of those things, and I would tell you, oh, that's not a light affliction. He calls them light afflictions. And I would look at it and say, well, Paul, 30 stripes is not light efficient. That's not good. That's not a light, light matter. All these things that happened to the apostle, none of them that I find are light. I would run from all of them. And yet he would tell us that it's a light affliction. And the reason he calls it a light affliction is this phrase, but for a moment, but for a moment. See, Pastor, these things, they're with me week in, week out. Perhaps sometimes they just hit me at times, and I, I go through a little, maybe not a depression, but a time of thinking about things of the past that, that caused me to fall into sorrow. And I'm looking at this, and it says, but for a moment. He says that's what our light, he calls them light afflictions. Can I tell you across the room this morning, if you told me the problems in your life and things that have happened to you, oh, I wouldn't say to you, that's no big deal. That's just a light affliction. Apostle Paul is calling these things that just literally burden us down at times. And he says, it's but a light affliction for a moment. A momentary thing. 
Why does he say that? Because the moment is our life. And it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Why is it a light affliction for a moment? The Bible calls our life a vapor. I've got a few numbers. Brother Wilbur, I like the way he words it. I ask him how he's doing. And he'll say, I've had too many birthdays. That's, I've had too many birthdays. How are you feeling? Oh, I've, I've had too many birthdays. I think he's 82. But he's got what he's got. He's got, he's got some suffering going on as a result of, of too many birthdays, right? He's gotten old. As you get older, you're going to get more suffering. But as you look back on your life, you realize how quickly it has passed. I'm on Social Security now. I don't even like saying the words. I'm in the system. I'm in Medicare for the first time in my life. Nothing wrong with it. I just, it's, I just, it's not, it's not that I have the Medicare. That's good. The bad thing is I'm old enough to get it is the problem. <laughs> That's what I can't grasp. Is that how did, how did that happen? How, how, how can I be possibly that old to receive these things that old people get? And all you young people are laughing at me. But it's hard to digest. I turned 60. That wasn't too bad. I'm past that now. But I turned 60, and I didn't think too much of that. Don, I, I still feel good, but I felt good. Ah, but when my oldest son turned 40, Bart, that was a problem. You, you can't be middle-aged and have a 40-year-old anymore, right? Uh, you, you just realize that what happened to my life? I mean, where did all those years go? How did it happen so quickly? When I look at this light affliction for the moment, I'm beginning to understand it. But can I tell you something? If you're going through a hard time in your life, it seems like every day is just clicking off and it's a painful day, perhaps. Apostle Paul is telling us, let's stop looking at all the things that are temporary in our life. And he says, so much so, they're light afflictions because they're so short. If you were going to go in for a surgery and the doc said, we're going to do this, that, or the other thing, and you'll be on your feet and everything will be fine, you know, two weeks, you'll be back to normal. We'd say, oh, oh, good, no big deal, right? Two weeks. If you go in and you say, well, it's, it's going to take you probably six months to a year to really get back to normalcy, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, how am I going to do that, right? It's, it's such a long span to us. Apostle Paul is reminding us that as we look back at time, it moves very, very rapidly. Even you younger couples, as you look back, how quickly your children are growing up, under, as you look at them, like, wow, it seems like the, what happened? I just feel like they were just a baby a few days ago. And it moves quickly. May I remind you this morning that life is very, very short. As I said, the Bible calls it a vapor. It just comes out of the little dispenser, a, a little fog, and gone. 
And that is the way our life is. It's very short, very fast. And those things that bring us great heartache, Apostle Paul says they're light. They're light afflictions. You say, boy, this is not light, but in light of eternity, they're light afflictions. May God give us the grace to go through the things that he calls light that we know in our lives are not light. They're very difficult. We look at the things which are seen, but we need to look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. They're very temporary. And the things that are eternal is where we will really spend our lives. I love to think about heaven. I was talking, I can't remember who it was, but I was talking to somebody about it this week about heaven. It's the first time in your life you'll ever really feel at home. When you arrive there, everything will be like, wow, this is perfect. This is perfect. You ever buy something, you really like it? Oh, when you get to heaven, understand that everything, everything that you longed for in life that just seemed to be always out of our grasp will no longer be that way in heaven. The realities of heaven will be the first time in our lives as Christians that we're going to say, wow, I'm home, I'm home. What a day that will be when our Jesus will see. And the temporariness of life will begin to be understood by us because we'll be home. All the things that you ever desired in this world will be instantly met and surpassed and you will literally be fulfilled in every way. You'll come to know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ not by faith any longer but by sight. And know what a day that will be just to be able to say, wow, Jesus, you're really here in heaven and I'm with you. Can you imagine when you lay your eyes on him and you're there? What a day that in truly will be will be when our Savior will see. We look at things right now, and they're very hard. Paul says it's a light affliction because it's so short in light of eternity. Believers, let's live a life of faith. Theodore Steinway said this, it is the 42,000 pounds of pressure exerted on the 245 strings of the piano that create beautiful harmony. You're going to have some pressures in life. At times, your life afflictions will overwhelm you. You'll be reminded of them at times. Sometimes you may feel like your affliction is an anchor of despair. But by God's grace, a song. Ladies and gentlemen, the songs of God are so valuable. Love them, sing them, know them, memorize them. A song in the night when everything is collapsing. I want to be at work at night, years gone by. It becomes somewhat despondent. I always had one song I plugged in. It was about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I found that the songs of resurrection about Jesus Christ, 
I don't know, there's something about Satan's got a real problem with those songs. And he doesn't stick around when you're singing about the resurrection of Christ. And I can remember just singing along with the cassette tape back then about the song of the resurrection and realizing that Satan couldn't get out of there quick enough. Find a song. David, we went through the chapter. I felt like a book, right? Chapter 119 of the Psalms. Every verse, I think 176 verses in this one chapter. Every verse ends up with David saying, this rescued me in the nutshell. This, this word of God, it rescued me. Ladies and gentlemen, when you're feeling despondent, run to the word of God, read it. Sing a song of joy that will bring it to your heart lighten your load I don't know what would be the most important between the study of the scriptures and the understanding and reading of the scriptures but I am tell you bring it to the Lord in prayer go to God in prayer through perhaps your tears talk to God don't run from him talk to him bear your soul to the Lord God when you're running from fear of so much heartache in your life. Run to God. Bring your burden to the Lord, the song says, and leave it there. Our afflictions are for a short span in this life. If you're older, you realize how quickly it's going. And these things are but a click, a moment in light of eternity light afflictions to us that are not light Paul says in light of what you know is coming it's short Christians let's run to our God with these afflictions in our life let's look at not at the things which are seen truly it will be worth it all when we see Jesus life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ one glimpse of his dear face all sorrow will erase. So faithfully run the race till we see Christ. Believers, don't give in, don't give up. Stay faithful to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Run to the scriptures as David did. David suffered many heartaches in his life. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 5, 7. You may have it memorized, casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Philippians 4, be careful for nothing, it says, or don't be filled with care. Don't be filled with care, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Run to prayer, run to his word. Sing a song in the night, even if you don't sing it out loud. Just bring it to your heart. A song in the night as you think about the words of the songs of God that may bring comfort and peace to your mind and heart. 
this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I would challenge you, I would beg you, don't live this life and this is all you have. The heartaches of life will come. As I said before, I dare say there's not a row that's not bearing burdens, and they'll come. But in Christ, we know that our future is secured in heaven, and all of these things that seemingly aren't going our way will be soon forgotten, and we'll be in eternity with God. Don't miss that. Receive him today. Know God. Trust him as your Savior. Certainly, you're escaping hellfire. But it's far more than what you're escaping. It's what you're getting. You're getting to live with God in heaven. And all the things that you thought you desired on earth will be fully satisfied. You'll never be loved. Can you imagine how loved you're going to feel? All the children of God gathered together. The love of heaven versus all the things of this earth that are constantly battling against us against our thoughts, against our heart, as we see the debauchery of our nation, all will be gone. The song says it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus' life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. Let's all stand together, shall we? Altar will be open. Christians, maybe you have something in your heart that you need to bring to the altar and bring it to God. Maybe just come and ask God for the peace that passes all understanding in, in trials of life. The song says, leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Heads bowed and eyes closed.